You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. This morning is entitled The Last Days. The Last Days. And this is number five in Metamorphosis, The Way of Transformation. So we're on this theme of metamorphosis, transformation. And I'm just being led by the Spirit and what to share. And every week I'm just asking, Father, what would you have? And this is the message that's been on my heart uh, this week. And so if we can all stand, if you can all stand as we read the word, and we're, the reason why we're standing as we read the word is to uh, honor the word and to honor the reading of the word. And if I can ask that there be quiet here, uh, no talking, if we all stand to honor and read the word right now. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs." Let's put our hands on our hearts, and if you can pray with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and transform my life in your precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Father, I pray for this time that we would hear your voice and that our eyes would be open to see you as we were praying during worship, and that we would see the glory, Jesus, of who you are, and that would sustain us in these last days. Amen. Amen. As we just read before, it says here, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom, through whom he also made the universe. The theme this morning is this. Jesus is the best teacher on the last days. Not popular opinion. Jesus is the best teacher on the last days. 
not popular opinion. So let me introduce to you what I'll be sharing today. What are the last days? And more specifically, what did Jesus say about the last days? And in light of these last days, how can we safeguard ourselves from widespread deception? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, our opening text, states that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The apostolic writer of Hebrews makes it clear that through Jesus' coming, death, and resurrection, we are already in the last days. Now, we're going to just pause here for a second. This needs to be a mind set shift among Christians. We are not to think that there's going to be any spectacular event that initiates the last days. The event already happened, and it was spectacular. It was the cross. It was the coming of Jesus, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the greatest sign that was ever given, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the first fruits of a worldwide resurrection that is to come. That is the initiation of the last days. So we have been in the last days for a long time. And so that needs to be a shift in our minds to realize we are in it. We are in it. And there's a purpose. God has a purpose for us in this. Today, we will follow Jesus up the Mount of Olives and sit at his feet listening to his wisdom and warnings about this time we are in right now. The Mount of Olives is an amazing place. It gives a panoramic view of Jerusalem as well as the Dead Sea in the distance. In Brisbane, our closest equivalent is Mount Kutha that provides us with a beautiful view of Brisbane City. And that's what the Mount of Olives does. It gives you a beautiful view of Jerusalem. And it's like a watch, it's like the place of a watchman where you could watch over Israel, especially Jerusalem, watch over Jerusalem. And like Mount Kuther, the Mount of Olives lets us see Jerusalem from a watchman's perspective. In this place of end-time prophecy and perspective, as well as Jesus' arrest and ascension, Jesus chooses to teach us, his disciples, about the last days. Jesus' last days discourse, which we read about in Matthew chapter 24 to 25, and Mark 13, and Luke 21, is classically known as the Olivet Discourse, the Olivet Discourse. And that's what we're going to be focusing on, the Olivet Discourse this morning. The first point is this. Let's listen to Jesus and not lose sight of his glory. In, this la in these last days, let's listen to Jesus and not lose sight of his glory. So before we follow Jesus up the Mount of Olives, let's follow Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration, which was probably Mount Hermon. 
in uh, the biblical land of Israel. And, of course, it's still there. So before we get to Matthew 24, we're going to go to Matthew 17. Jesus gave this vision of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration before he ever gave the Olivet Discourse, before he gave this whole teaching on the last days. And so now we're going to be reading from Matthew 17, 1 through 13. And this is where this Greek word that's like our word metamorphosis is used because Jesus was metamorphosized before his closest disciples. And we're going to read that now. So Matthew 17, 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone with the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And let me just say this is the week of the Feast of Tabernacles in the Jewish calendar. We're coming to a close very soon. And here Peter wants to make these little booths or tabernacles for them so they can stay there up on the mountain. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The Father speaks that. And because the Father speaks this audible uh, a voice comes to them from this bright cloud that overshadowed them. I think it's worth listening to it again. Here's what the Father says. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And we'll stop there, but you could read on. Bless you, little Joseph. <laughs> Always brings joy to my heart when I'm sharing the word. <laughs> someone's listening. Peter had this good idea, right? It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we could have good ideas. But what is important, what is absolutely essential, is what is Jesus saying? Not what are our good ideas. Mount Hermon, close to Caesarea Philippi, where we believe this is happening, is also a place of grand perspective. And today we need to have the perspective of Jesus to see him alone. Rather than get caught up in all the chaos and confusion of our day. And there is a lot of chaos and confusion in the last days as we're going to read about but before we go up the Mount of Olives, I wanted us to go up the Mount of Transfiguration in the order that God had it, because first we need to see a vision of Jesus' glory. And he is the kingdom of God. 
And we need to see His glory and His beauty. So Jesus took His closest disciples up this mountain before He gave this discourse on the last days. And this was critical because we can't lose sight of Jesus' glory in light of the tribulation of the last days. But it's easy for us to lose sight of His glory. Just like when Peter was walking on the water, he started to look at the winds and his, the waves, he got his eyes off Jesus, and that's when he began to sank, uh, sink. <laughs> Excuse me. I need my little edit machine there. That's when he began to sink, when he started to get his eyes off of Jesus. And there's a lesson for us there for our whole lives, and I've preached it before. It's easy for any of us to get bogged down in the information and the darkness of the last days. And when you start to get your eyes off Jesus, you get heavy. You're not light so that you can walk on water miraculously. We need to live light by the power of the Holy Spirit, the burdens off of our back, our eyes fixed on Him. The Father gives us a clear vision of the beauty and glory of His Son. And it's this vision that we need to keep before our eyes. The Father also gives us this uncomplicated wisdom. Listen to Him. So many voices now. So much noise around us. Listen to Him. He simplifies it down to three English words for us. Listen to Him. And yes, like Peter, we can fall into the trap of our own wisdom in these last days. The things we want to build. Men like to build stuff, right? And there's a time and place for building. But the things we want to build, how we want to protect ourselves, how we want to stay in a safe place, that's what Peter was thinking about in building these three tabernacles. But Jesus calls us to descend the mountain with him to save, the, to save a world that's under Satan's bondage. So immediately after this story, the disciples go down and they find that child that's bound by Satan and, and the disciples that were not up on the mountain can't cast the demon out. Today, the Lord doesn't want us to be hiding away. We have a purpose in these days. And it's to set the captives free. And that's immediately what they did in Matthew Chapter 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus is a little bit frustrated here. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I put up with you? Or how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Well, he says both. Bring them here to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. So 
Now, right after this, we see this, um, this curing, this setting free of the demoniac, uh, the child that was bound by demons. Well, this brings us to the second point here. How are you going? We've just walked up a mountain. Might be a little tired. We're walking down. Now we're going up another mountain. Now this is the Mount of Olives. First it was the Mount of Transfiguration. And now the Mount of Olives. Jesus' words give us the proper perspective on the last days. Jesus' words give us the proper perspective on the last days. We don't have time to read all of this teaching that he gives, but we're going to read from 1 through 14. So Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with his disciples. Uh, Sorry, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to came up to point out that the temple buildings... Uh, sorry, I'm, my eyes are a bit blurry, yeah? <laughs> Let me read again. Matthew 24, 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, Not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to him, said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mis will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, many people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what did Jesus say about the last days? We followed him up the Mount of Olives. We're listening to him. And there's more to read, much more than I have time for, but we're going to focus in on this part. We see in the beginning of this that the disciples were concerned about when the end would happen and what would be the sign. So when is it going to happen? 
Listen to what they say there in verse 3. Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So the, the disciples were concerned about when and they were concerned about the signs. But Jesus is imparting to them his perspective, which is a different perspective, which is a heavenly perspective. We need to see that the last days, or let me say it like this, we need to see the last days as Jesus sees them. Again, it's not based on popular opinion or what's trending on the Internet or what's trending on Twitter or what's trending in the Christian world, but rather, what is he saying? In the New Testament, we see Jesus was often in conflict with his his disciples. They were saying one thing, he was saying the other. They were asking one question, and he doesn't even answer it directly. He answers it a different ways. There was often a conflict between Jesus and his disciples, and I believe it's the same way today. We're thinking one way. Jesus is trying to correct our thinking. He wants us to think like him, not like what's popular out there. There's a, a different way of thinking. It's his way of thinking. And there's five specific things I want to draw our, our attention to out of this part in Matthew 24, uh, 1 through 14. So five specific things I want to draw our attention to. And the first thing Jesus warns us about is see to it that no one misleads you. First thing I want to draw out, and he says it in verse 4 as he begins. This is how he opens up his address of this whole subject. See to it that no one misleads you. And the word there in the Greek is to lead someone away, to lead someone astray, to deceive. Again, it's, it's translated well as mislead. And next week, I want to give you seven, seven proven safeguards against deception. But we don't have time for that this week. But I, God willing, next week, we'll talk about seven proven safeguards against deceptions, deception. And it's all what Jesus and his apostles taught. And as we're reading Jesus' description of the last days and the tribulation in the last days, which, of course, we're in right now, it sounds very scary, and to hear that there's so many people that are going to come and say that they are the Christ, and so many people that are going to betray one another, and all the nations hating us, this sounds very scary, and that's why many times preachers don't go into this part of Scripture, and maybe we skip over it and don't think critically about it. But I want you to hear the next thing that Jesus says. So the first thing he says is, see to it that no one misleads you. And then what's the next major thing he says? I'll just read it right from here. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name. So they're coming in his name, coming in the name of Christ, but it's only outwardly. It's not an inward coming in his name. It's, it's an outward, it's an appearance of coming in his name. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars 
and rumors of wars. But what does he say here? And this is what I want to draw out. The second thing I want to draw out. See that you are not frightened. Second thing I want to bring out is Jesus says, see that you are not frightened. The word for frightened is thro'o, thro'o, sorry, thro'o. And thro'o means to cry aloud, to be alarmed, to be frightened, to be disturbed or inwardly aroused. And so we see this happening now in our time as we observe. A lot of people are in alarm, are fearful, are anxious, are disturbed inwardly. But this is the very thing that Jesus tells us not to fall into. Because if you fall into that fright, that fear, if you fall into that alarm, then you will easily be misled. So he says, see that you are not frightened. So how am I going to keep from being frightened? It all goes back to what we said in the beginning. We need to keep our eyes on him and the glory of who he is, the glory of the sun and the beauty of who he is and the power of who he is and that he speaks to us and he will speak to us and guide us and all we are meant to do is to listen to him and look to him and he will help us. In this time, today, shakings are happening, causing people to be alarmed and frightened. And this week was a real uh, troubled week for Melbourne. You had the protests and you had violence in the protests. And then to kind of top it all off, and and then the premier says, I'm going to shut down the, the construction industry. And so all these people are out of work and... Of course, it's a, a shaking. It's, it's quite sad, and I'm not here to offer political commentary. I think God offers enough commentary when a 5.9 magnitude earthquake on the 22nd of September 2021 hit Melbourne, Melbourne at 9.15 a.m. When I think of 5.9, my mind immediately goes to 1 Peter 5.9. I'm just going to turn there. This is not in my notes here, but this is, this is what I'm thinking about. In verse 8, it says, Be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And here's verse 9, 1 Peter 5.9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So it's talking about resisting the devil. As a disciple of Jesus and as disciples of Jesus, we should not be alarmed because he told us these things are going to happen. And Jesus takes it further. Let's look at verse, uh, I mean, let's look at the third thing I want to bring out in verse 6. So Matthew 24, verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place. 
but that is not yet the end. Now, let me, let it, let's focus on this and let me dwell on this for a little bit. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. We are in the ending, but this is not the end. And it's said clearly, Jesus is saying, that is not yet the end. And if this was the final day, we should be so in the will of God that we shouldn't be changing what we're doing. If this was the final day, I would be up here preaching. If Jesus was going to come back right now, I would be up here preaching because that's what the Lord wants me to do. And we should be worshiping because that's what the Lord has called us to do. And if it was another day, like this week, I was, I was blessed to take Valerie into work. And we had a great time together. When did we do that? Thursday or Friday? Thursday. We did it Thursday. And Valerie was so excited to get on the train. And we had our time hanging out together, father-daughter time. For those who don't know, Valerie's eight years old. She's our youngest daughter. And we had that great time. And you know, if it was the end of the world and Jesus was coming back that day, I wouldn't change a thing. Because the Lord wants me to be a father to my daughter. And this is, the, this is the mindset we need to live with, with, that we are always in the will of God, and we're not going to change or be frightened. We're going to continue to do the will of God. No matter what is happening in the world, no matter the shaking that's going on. Now, many people think, think that this is the end, but it's not. As Jesus said, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pains or pangs, depending on how you say it. I think birth pains is, is more modern than pangs. <laughs> yes. So what do birth pains mean? Well, think about birth. Birth pains first come and go. And as the baby gets closer to coming, the pains get more and more consistent, taking on a regular rhythm and increasing in intensity. So we've had four, we've had four children, and at first it kind of comes and goes, and you know it's, it's, it's just like a warning sign. They call it the Braxton Hicks, and it's just a warning sign. But then the labor pains become more and more consistent, and as you get closer to birth, it gets more and more intense. Now, why is Jesus talking about birth pains? What is he birthing? He is birthing something good. And this is what we need to keep in mind. Jesus is birthing something good. It is his kingdom on earth. And this is what he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it must be birth. And... There is a birth thing that God's people do, and there's also the whole world and universe, as we read the scripture, goes through this birthing pain for God's new life to come about and his kingdom to come, which is already 
coming in and through us. But there's more because God wants to save the whole entire world. He wants to restore all things, as Paul put it. All these last days' pains mean that the Father, all these last days' pains mean that the Father is birthing something new and something completely new. And it's what we just talked about. So the fourth thing I want us to zoom in on is in Matthew 24, 12. Matthew 24, 12, and it says this. Because lawlessness is increased, many people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Uh, now, sadly, a lot of scripture, a lot of the translations, and I don't know why they do this, say that because of lawlessness, uh, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the actual Greek word, and you can check it out yourself, is many. And I think we need to translate it rightly. It's many. Many people's love will grow cold. So I'll read it again that way. Because lawlessness is increased, many people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So what is lawlessness? I mean, we, see, we have seen so much lawlessness in America, but we have seen lawlessness break out here as well. It Ultimately, lawlessness is going against God's way and God's teaching and God's instructions because his way is what is true. His teaching is true. And Torah, which is translated as law, also means teaching, essentially means teaching. It's the right way he's pointing. So we're going against his teaching, and we see this here in our own state of Queensland with different laws that have been passed, that these are laws that are against God's law. So we've seen this in Queensland. We've seen the increase of lawlessness in Australia. We've seen an increase in lawlessness around the world. And there's lawlessness in the government, and there's also lawlessness among the people, too. It's in both places. It's not merely just the government, and it's not merely just the people. It's an increase of lawlessness everywhere. And Jesus said that lawlessness would increase because lawlessness is increased. So there's an increase of wickedness, there's an increase of lawlessness, there's an increase of sin. If we don't watch our hearts, it says here, many people's love will grow cold. So what, how should our love be? Our love should be hot. It should be on fire. Now, simply, how do you keep on fire for Jesus? You stay close to him because Jesus is an all-consuming fire. He is light. He is brightness. He is glory. And so staying in intimacy with Jesus means that the fire that he is is in you as well, and it becomes a part of you, and, of course, he's living in us. 
one of the things I saw that with, with COVID, and many pastors have seen it all around the world, it's not just me, it's not just a localized thing, thing that people's love grew cold, and they became apathetic and lazy about God and the things of God. And it really didn't matter so much anymore. They fell asleep. Let me say, by and large, the church fell asleep. Now all these things are happening, all these mandates, this, that, and the other thing, and people are starting to wake up. Whoa, what is happening? A shock. But you know what happens when you wake up? You're a bit grumpy. And people are a bit grumpy right now. They're not necessarily speaking and behaving like Jesus. But they're alarmed. And this is where we need to stop, find peace in God, and ask, how do we go forward from here? How can we be Jesus' disciples? How can we not react but respond like Jesus and with wisdom? And it's usually a different strategy than what you think at first. The strategy comes from spending time alone with him and knowing him. Most of all, we have got to keep our love burning for one another. We need to love our pastors and leaders. Amen? And I'm not merely just speaking about myself. I'm talking to the body of Christ. We need to love our pastors and leaders. We need to love our brothers and sisters. And most importantly, we need to love God, love Jesus with all our heart. And here's the good news about loving God. You can only love God with the love you, re- you have received from him. So just oh, God wants to pour out his love. He doesn't want your fire growing cold. So just open up yourself to him. And Lord, fill me with your love. And his love is like a fire. And he fills you with his love. And it enables you, it enables you to love others. In the last uh, sentence here of Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. It's this Greek word for endure is hupomeno. And you may know hupomeno because meno appears over and over in John 15. It's the word we translate as abide, a remain, dwell. So how do you hoopo meno? You hoopo meno by meno. <laughs> it doesn't fully translate here, but you, you uh, by abiding in Christ, you are able to abide through the most difficult tribulations. So hoopo meno means, hoopo is like to, to be under, and meno is to remain or abide. Hoopo meno is... Uh, is to abide and to remain, to endure under great extremity, intensity, tribulation. That's the idea. But how do you do that? It's through the meno. And the meno is abiding in Christ. And so you're going to hear me speaking about over and over intimacy with Jesus. And that's what that latest infographic was about, intimacy. How do you get closer to Jesus? And you can find it at brisbanefire.com slash infographics if you haven't seen it. Intimacy with Jesus is the key 
it enables us to endure, to remain and abide through the fiercest of trials. But I'm always praying, God, please help us, shield us, protect us. <laughs> this brings me to the fifth thing, and we're, coming, we're drawing near to the end here. The fifth thing that I want to bring out in this beginning part of this discourse, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 12. Oh, Matthew 24, 14. I had it wrong in my notes here. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The Father's purpose for us in these last days is to preach the good news. That's what the gospel means. And it's to preach the good news everywhere. And it's the good news of his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his kingdom. This is why we, gotta, we need to get to know the kingdom so we can preach the good news of the kingdom. And the kingdom is embodied in Jesus Christ. So getting to know Jesus is getting to know the kingdom. And this is the Father's purpose for us. And if we're not careful, we will be misled from what? This purpose of preaching the good news, of sharing the good news. We'll get sidetracked on minor things, little issues, things that don't really matter. And the enemy will have us squabbling about this and squabbling about that and squabbling about the other thing and all sorts of controversy when what we need to be doing is preaching the good news. It's the good news that sets people free. I heard a weird teaching just the other day from uh, someone mentioned it. They didn't believe it, but they mentioned it. Believing that Jesus is coming back for the ones that are unvaccinated. So he'll leave behind all the vaccinated but he's coming back for the ones that are unvaccinated. That is not the gospel. <laughs> now, I'm not here to say and be, I'm not here to be pro-vaccination or anti-vaccination. I'm here to represent the kingdom of God. But let me just be clear that that is not the gospel message. We need to know the gospel message, and it sets free the heart. It sets people free from sin. It brings people into connection and unity with God. And so this is what we need to be about, the good news. And we must let nothing veer us off course from the preaching of the good news. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what are we meant to do until the end? Get out the good news. Be the good news. Live the good news. 
preach Jesus. That's our purpose. God's purpose in this time is a great harvest. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. The time we are in, in this, uh, the Jewish calendar right now, it's all about in gathering, in gathering the harvest. And so they make these little tabernacles or booths. They're temporary shelters to bring in the harvest. They're not meant to be permanent. They're temporary. And the whole goal is bringing in the harvest. And that is what the Lord is about. And this time, he wants the harvest to come in. So he told, Jesus told his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the harvest because we start to lose sight of the harvest by all these shakings and earthquakes and wars and rumors of war, wars. And nations are coming against nations in this hour. And uh, there's a number of different nations that do not, do not like the new treaty that's gone on between America, England, and Australia you know, with the nuclear-powered submarine and there's all this rumblings going on but here's my third and last point and it's not going to be as long as the middle point and it's what I've been saying all throughout the message stay close to the shepherd that's the only way to keep you from veering off track in these last days there's going to be many that come and try to mislead. There's some that come and say, I am the Christ. There's others that come and say, I have the solution. I'm, I'm from God and I have the solution. And their solution usually is something like, we're going to build these uh, three tabernacles here and stay in the safe place. <laughs> but the, the church is not meant to stay in a safe place. We're meant to, the safest place though is in Jesus. We're meant to get out. And be a light in this dark world and lay down our lives for the gospel. Stay close to the shepherd. Now, there's about seven things that I want to share, and I'll do it next week, of safeguards against deception. We don't have the time to get into that now. But what I do want to say is this is, this is central to all of them, and that is staying close to the shepherd. Valerie, when we were in the, uh, the office on our father-son, I mean father-daughter, <laughs> I'm thinking of Gideon. I used to take Gideon into the office too. But when we were in our father-daughter time hanging out, our father-daughter uh, adventure, while I was doing some work, Valerie said, can I get the chalk and, and write on the refrigerator? Because the refrigerator is chalk like a chalkboard and so she got the chalk and she was doing all this stuff drawing and I didn't see it and she says look dad what I did and she wrote tighten your connection with God and then she drew a heart and on one side of the heart was God she wrote God and the other side of the heart she wrote us she said this is the God part of part of the heart and this is us and we need to be together and then she drew all these vines around the heart and she said the vines are what bind us and tie us to to God and a whole message there is tighten your connection with God and I believe that just, that's a message for us 
This is a time for us to tighten our connection with God. And you do it through the vine. He's the vine. He binds us together with him. Jesus is the vine. And there's a theme in Revelation about following the lamb and the lamb. We read in Revelation 14, 4, these are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Think about that for a moment. These are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Follow the lamb is a thought-provoking image and phrase. Now, who follows a lamb? Well, that's who follows a lamb. Usually the lamb is following the shepherd or the lamb is following the flock. But who follows a lamb? The picture here is of a child in the field. Children love lambs, and the lamb is dancing around, it's playing around, the lamb is leaping, and it's full of joy. And who is following the lamb? It's the child, because the lamb is fun and exciting. And who would be, if we had a lamb here, who would be following the lamb? Little Joseph and Valerie. (laughs) Yeah. And it's that... Those who follow the Lamb keep a humble, childlike heart. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And Jesus is not afraid to be identified with the Lamb. He is the shepherd, but He's also the Lamb. And He's the Lamb that lays down His life for the sheep. This description of following the Lamb is for those who are innocent and young in heart. It's for those who have laid down their pride and like they're like children before the Father. They take joy in the Lamb and they enjoy the Lamb. And this is what we need to be like in this time. And this is one of the central messages of the book of Revelation that there are those who have the name of God on their forehead. This is from Revelation 14.1 and we're reading from Revelation 14, 4, 1 through 4 here. We're drawing all this from there. Those who have the name on their forehead are those who follow the Lamb. And this is what we need to be concerned with today as God's people. We need to be more concerned about the mark of God than the mark of the beast. Because if you just focus on the darkness, you fall into the darkness. I heard it said if you're on a ship, like a, a big ship, and if you constantly look at the, 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 the waves and the storm, you can actually fall in. You can be actually sucked into it, fall right over the side if you just concentrate the whole time on that because it disorients you. Yeah, riding a bicycle wherever you look, you go. So who are we looking to? Jesus. Who are we listening to? Jesus. And this is not necessarily an easy word. I'm not here to tickle your ears. What I'm here to say is we all need to be developing intimacy with Jesus. Where we're following him, where we're knowing him, where we're enjoying him, where we're spending time with him each day, where he is so dear and precious to us, just like to Valerie, a little lamb dancing around would be dear and precious to her. That's how precious the Lamb of God must be to us. So let's all stand. I'm, we're going we're gonna to pray, and I'll conclude.
let's listen to Jesus and not lose sight of his glory. Let Jesus' words on the last days give us the proper perspective. And lastly, let's stay close to our shepherd so we are not led astray. Father, here we are. You've put it on my heart that we, we, we would first follow you up the Mount of Transfiguration. We would see your glory, Jesus, and we would hear the Father's words. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then we went down from the mountain. And then we went up another mount, Mount of Olives, and Jesus is talking about this, these birth pains. But it's all for a birthing of your kingdom and your new life. And Father, we want to see many souls brought into your kingdom. We want to see people born again, born of the Spirit. God, would you use us for your harvest in these last days? Would, would you open up our eyes that we would see the harvest, that we would see you, Jesus, and we would see the harvest out there, and we would be filled with your love, that our fire, Lord, would not go out. We're praying that our fire would burn bright, that it wouldn't be going out because of the increase of lawlessness and wickedness. It would be... Burning bright, Lord. Stoke the fire, Lord. Stoke the fire in our hearts. Let your words not become blurry to us, but let them be clear. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to spend the time of worship, and what's been on my heart lately is to... Uh, Lay hands on whoever wants hands laid on them for prayer. If there's anything that.